0: The Revolt of 2020 by Patrick Johnston. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Patrick Johnston. Read by Daniel Meyer. By kind permission of the author, this reading of The Revolt of 2020 is available for free distribution. Stay tuned at the end of this reading for more information and links to additional resources. Chapter 21, Austin, Texas. Dear God, have mercy on us. David's heart sank as he watched the president blame the nation's Christians and gun owners for the acts of terrorism that had plagued the country all day. When she proposed the American card and chips to be implanted in the back of Christians' hands, he immediately opened his Bible to the book of Revelation and the relevance leaped off the pages. The godless government's lust for power is insatiable. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Any government that refuses to rest upon the shoulders of the King of Kings will try to strike at his heel. The church's commitment to King Jesus is the state's greatest obstacle to absolute power, and that is why the body of Christ frequently winds up in the state's crosshairs. Ultimately, when God's patience is exhausted, such a government and its people will be crushed under his feet in judgment. But only if the salt loses its savor. Judgment always begins at the house of God. The candlestick of the American church was teetering. When the Secret Service agents evacuated the president from the press room, Darlene was just returning from the backyard where she hung up clothes on the clothesline. Honey, David called out to her, you need to see this. Darlene set down the basket of clothes and walked into the living room, wondering what could have possibly caused the fear in her husband's voice. She stood beside him as he sat on the edge of the couch. The television showed a newscaster nervously announcing, We're taking you to a developing story in the heart of our nation's capital. John? The television showed footage of a mass of flames and smoke billowing from the site of the airliner's crash on the long grassy lawn near the White House. Whistling strips of metal, smoking debris, and scattered flames littered the lawn from the Washington Monument to the Capitol Building. The cameraman was still trembling from witnessing the explosion and feeling the heat of the blast. Oh no, you could hear the newscaster say as the man holding the video camera cursed under his breath. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just witnessed what appears to be an Air Force fighter jet shoot down a hijacked airliner as it was speeding in the direction of the White House. The plane exploded, careened off course, and then fell short of the terrorists' target, it appears, nicking the top of the Washington Monument and colliding with the ground on the National Mall. Oh, dear God, Darlene began to weep at the sight. She put her hands over her face, occasionally peeking through her fingers to watch the news story. She slowly sat down on the couch next to her husband and grabbed his hand. Their two eldest daughters drew near to them to see what was the matter with Mommy and Daddy. Their hearts groaned within them as they watched the newscaster describe the stench of fuel and smoke. David had a nauseating deja vu sensation as he recalled the explosion he had barely survived in Ohio. The news camera roamed across the terrifying chaos, they could see smoking body parts and smashed luggage among the debris. Those observers who weren't hysterically fleeing just stood at the edges of the crash site with horrified looks on their faces, many crying and many standing with their hands covering their gaping mouths. The police and park workers tried to push the crowd back as the fire department and federal investigation teams began to arrive. One woman was hysterical with weeping and screaming as two officers restrained her. Her seven-year-old daughter and husband had been throwing a frisbee on the lawn as she read a novel on the park bench when they heard the first crash. She cried for them as her husband picked up their daughter and ran to her. The jet sped toward the ground like a missile and she saw them simply disappear when the jet collided with the ground, incinerating everyone and everything in its path. She was thrown back into a ditch by the force of the blast. After the wreckage blew past her, she raised her singed scalp above the ditch and began to weep at the sight of the 150-yard blazing oblong crater where her family had been playing just moments before. David's heart sank as he watched her grieve in the arms of the two officers who led her away from the wreckage. He bowed his head as he tasted her grief for a moment and began to pray, God help that woman. What do you want me to do, Father? How can I help? The newscaster began to highlight all the tragedies of the day as the camera continued to scan the wreckage. He spoke of the hijackings, the explosions in multiple federal buildings and malls in one near-packed stadium, and the bravery of the passengers of one plane who were able to overpower three terrorists and take back the plane. Then he mentioned the political chaos in the Texas legislature. David's eyes brightened. He stood up. I've got to go, dear. Go where? The legislature is debating whether to pass the Texas Life Bill. They're debating that this very minute. That's what all this is about. Their faith is being tested. I need to get down there and try to speak to... You can't go there, Darlene insisted with a stomp of her foot. This was so contrary to her typical demeanor that David sat down and studied her carefully. There'll be cops down there, and... And... And they'll recognize you. David searched her tear-filled eyes. He grasped her sweaty hands in his and calmly responded, Dear, I think the Lord wants me to go. This is a test. These tragedies are laying a trap of fear before the feet of Texas leaders, and I want to encourage them. I want to be God's oracle to someone in leadership. Why you? Her tears turned to sobs as she considered that his courage might lead to his capture. David stood to embrace her, but she pushed him away. What about us? You'll stay here, of course, he said matter-of-factly. But what if something happens to you? You'll just have to pray and trust God with my protection, and I'll have to do the same with yours. An earthquake could open beneath this home and swallow us alive into the ground, Darlene. We cannot fret about the unknown. We have to trust him. In the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. He hugged her tightly and whispered in her ear, The safest place to be is in the midst of God's will, Darlene, wherever that might be. He pulled away from her and bent down to kiss his daughters. It was then that Darlene realized he would not be dissuaded. God was sending him on a mission. Will you take a sign or something so you can hide your face if an officer walks past? Got one in the back of Natalie's car. Nat had said that they could use her car when she wasn't home. I'm sure there'll be other protesters down there. Oh, David, she said, throwing her arms around his neck and kissing his cheek. She prayed for him as they embraced, trembling with the unbearable thought that she might never see him again. David read her thoughts. God won't give us more than we can handle, my love, but he will give us more than we think we can handle, just so that we can discover the wonderful truth that his grace is sufficient for us in our weakness. He looked into her tearful eyes and smiled at her. Trust him. With the news of the terrorist attacks, the heated debate in the Texas legislature cooled greatly. For about two hours, it seemed like every representative's speech was interrupted by another announcement of a terrorist attack against a mall, a government building, or a stadium. Everyone on both sides of the issue used the tragic news to try to sway votes. Governor Adams responded immediately by placing the state's guard forces on high alert. Their fighter jets could be heard from inside the Capitol building, performing their routine flight patterns as instructed, scouring for stray airliners. All planes had been ordered grounded since the first 30 minutes of the attacks, and so any stray airliner was susceptible to immediate destruction after a single warning. After hearing of the near collision of the airliner with the White House, the chairman of the Texas legislature requested a moment of silence. Tears and whispered prayers could be heard across the State House. Television cameras caught nervous grimaces and quivering lips as they prayed silently, with bowed heads and closed eyes. David pulled his muddy orange UT cap low on his brow as he walked up to the statehouse. He was relieved to see that about a hundred enthusiastic anti-abortion, anti-euthanasia, and pro-Second Amendment protesters were already on the public sidewalk in front of the statehouse. There were a few security guards present, but they were at the top of the stairs about 40 yards away and did not approach as long as the protesters stayed on the sidewalk and demonstrated peacefully. God, let me be at the right place at the right time, David prayed silently. Give me the right words for the right person. David stood there for about two minutes holding a large color poster of an aborted baby when two vaguely familiar faces came stomping down the sidewalk toward them, leading several others dressed in suits. One of the protesters shouted, Governor Adams, that's Governor Adams! The officers standing on both sides of the front door to the statehouse were taken aback. The governor's visit was not in their schedule, and it was unlike him to enter through the front entrance anyway. The guards started making their way quickly toward the governor as the pro-life protesters huddled around him. Governor Adams smiled and greeted the throng of protesters, expressing his gratitude at the praise the crowd of fans heaped on him. Behind him were several sympathetic members of his cabinet, whom he had persuaded of the necessity of passing the Texas Life Bill. David walked up to Robert Boniface, the governor's new press secretary, who was standing on the outskirts of the crowd. Mr. Boniface? Yes? Thank you for being God's voice for righteousness. He pulled his handshake in close and put another hand on his shoulder and spoke to him in a soft but serious voice. I have an important admonition for you. Be careful not to think more highly of yourself than you ought. I can sense that you will face this temptation. Stay small in your own eyes. Remember that the Bible says the flatterer spreads a net for your feet. God wants to use you in ways you cannot even imagine, but you must be humble and meek like King David, not proud and haughty like King Saul. Pastor Boniface listened intently as this strange man of obvious wisdom continued. The field in which you are fighting is strewn with the carcasses of Christians who were greater than you, but who left their first love and strayed from God's will. Some of the crowd moved away and bumped into David as he spoke, but his gaze was not distracted. Robert Boniface appeared receptive and had a sober countenance as he considered David's words. Thank you, sir, Boniface said, shaking his hand more vigorously this time. David motioned at the governor and let go of Boniface's hand. Don't get distracted from your mission with Governor Adams. If your vision for Texas is something that you can accomplish in your lifetime and your strength, then it's not big enough. God wants you to build a government on the Lord's shoulders, on the foundation of his word, but he's going to test your faith first. Remember, Joseph's path to second-in-command included a detour through prison. Israel's trek to the Promised Land included a detour through the wilderness. Don't lose hope and don't lose your vision when the path gets harder and more difficult. Hold on to Jesus and believe for miracles. David paused to assess the anticipation in Boniface's firm facial features. Boniface's deeper thoughts were distracted by the requests of others to shake his hand. Might I ask what your name is, sir? Dave, he paused in the middle of the word and reminded himself that he had to be discreet. He was still a wanted man. Dave, he repeated. Thank you for your exhortation, Dave. Governor Adams made his way through the crowd and walked right in front of David. He came to a stop between him and his press secretary. Pastor Robert, we're taking these protesters with us. Fine by me. One of the security guards tapped the governor on the arm. You want them to come with you where? Into the legislature. Governor Adams started rapidly up the stairs toward the front door with the crowd of signholders following close behind. The two guards ran to keep up. They're in session, sir. Do you want us to try and schedule a speech to the House? Inform the chairman that I'm on my way to speak to them on an issue of urgent state security. Uh, yes, sir. Can you let us call over first and... We're going now. Yes, sir. The security guard tapped a button on his hip and spoke into his shoulder microphone. With the permission of the House chairman, Representative Miles Franklin read the transcript of the president's speech from his laptop. Moans of disapproval of the president's comments resounded throughout the building. When Brighton indicted Christianity for the terrorist attacks and proposed the North American card as a terrorist fighting measure, many in the room were absolutely furious. I think this just exposes the true motivation of Margaret Brighton, Representative Franklin added, closing his laptop and holding it at his side. She is a usurper and will stop at nothing to gain power. Power to criminalize religious speech, power to arrest political dissenters, power to disarm her subjects, and power to promote a culture of death to all those whom she considers unwanted. She lusts for unconstitutional and unlawful power and she has the audacity to exploit today's terrorist attacks to gratify her lust for it. Now she's going to be appointing two if not three Supreme Court justices. What are our chances now of returning to constitutional government by appealing to the judiciary? They're non-existent. If this doesn't demand at the very least the action that Governor Adams is asking of us, then what good are we? In all my life I have never seen the line so clearly drawn in the sand between liberty and tyranny, between life and There was an unexpected bustle in the rear of the building that distracted the Texas rep. The chairman leaned forward to speak directly into the microphone. Order! He picked up the phone to contact security, but ended up answering it just as it rang. Yes? Who? It's Governor Adams, the senior security officer exclaimed into his shoulder microphone. He demands an audience with the legislature as a matter of urgent state security. The chairman winked at Franklin and announced into the microphone, I present to this solemn assembly the governor of Texas, Henry Adams. He joined most of the other reps in a respectful applause. Through the rear of the legislature, Governor Henry Adams entered, followed by his press secretary, Robert Boniface, six members of his cabinet, and the hundred protesters who had gathered to demonstrate peacefully in front of the state house. Governor Adams shook the hands of many of the reps who enthusiastically greeted him as he made his way down the center aisle toward the front. The protesters followed him, proudly holding their signs, Disarmament equals tyranny, Stop Brighton's death ethic, Ban abortion, Say no to gun control, What part of an alienable don't you understand? One sign read in all caps, SECEDE NOW. One protester held a large, four-foot-wide sign of a well-known photo of the lone Chinese civilian standing before a row of tanks after China's People's Liberation Army slaughtered and arrested thousands of Chinese Democratic activists in Tiananmen Square in 1989. The caption under the photo read, HOPE. As David followed the throng into the legislature, he saw the television cameras out of the corner of his eye. He knew it was unwise to be seen on television, so he stopped, turned, and headed back to the rear of the building. The governor arrived at the front of the legislature and motioned for the protesters that followed him to stand beside him on his left and his right. The hope sign was raised directly behind him. He thanked the House Chairman and spoke into the microphone. I have come to inform you that I will not tolerate this federal treason against the Constitution of the United States any longer. I want that bill voted on and I want it now. I implore you not to take sides with tyranny against the King of Heaven and Earth who bids this legislature to protect your people from slaughter. I'm drawing a line in the sand and Texas is stepping over it onto God's side. We must fear God more than tyrants, more than terrorists. I don't care if you call yourself pro-life. If you refuse to do your duty and give justice to the aborted preborn, then you're an accomplice. If you refuse to give me this life-saving legislation, I'm going to spend every moment of my day making it clear to the voters of this state that you are accomplices in the thousands of innocent deaths that take place every day. I'll personally see to it that every professing pro-life representative who opposes our attempt to ban the killing in Texas is exposed as the pro-abortionist that he is. Gasps filled the room. That's right. I'll spend my life savings if I have to. I'll put your picture in your local newspapers with the words child killer underneath it, all bold in caps. I'm not kidding. The innocent suffer at our hands because we have refused to do justice. He pointed a finger of rebuke around the auditorium filled with hundreds of stunned representatives and aides. The governor concluded his impromptu speech. Give me that life bill and we'll build a state government upon that foundation that will bring more prosperity, peace, and divine favor upon Texas than ever before. Thank you. An applause broke out that was so loud you couldn't hear yourself talk. When the governor departed from the assembly, the chairman asked for a hand vote on the version of the bill proposed by Miles Franklin that declared that for the purposes of state law, human life began at the commencement of biological development. The bill specifically outlawed abortion and all forms of physician-assisted suicide and declared that it was not subject to judicial review. A whopping 62% of the assembly voted to pass the bill. Cheers erupted as the state reps and protesters began to shake hands and hug each other in elation. Tears flowed freely down David's eyes as he joined in the chorus of cheers, all hands clapping wildly. No king but King Jesus, he exclaimed. For a moment David felt as if heaven had come down and filled the boisterous statehouse. Enthusiastic cheers echoed in living rooms all over the country as tens of thousands of Christian families began discussing plans to sell their homes and move to the Lone Star State. After many handshakes and hugs and even a few high fives, Governor Adams made his way out of the statehouse. David Jameson, with his UT cap pulled low on his brow, walked beside Robert Boniface, who followed the governor past the media cameras and journalists shouting out unanswered questions. Excuse me, David got the attention of the governor's press secretary. Mr. Boniface? Darlene watched the scenario unfold before the state legislature on C-SPAN. She didn't see her husband beside Governor Adams during his speech, but she knew he was somewhere in the shadows, praying and speaking to others. She interceded fervently for him as she knelt before the television. Her daughters knelt beside her, adopting her passion and humility. She prayed that he would be successful in this mission to which the Lord had called him, whatever it would be and wherever it would take them. Then, painfully, she added with caution, checking her heart lest she utter vain words before the Lord, Your will be done. There was joy and peace in releasing her husband and her future to the Lord. No tragedy would take her by surprise or crush her faith in God. All was surrendered to God. All she had was nothing compared to knowing Christ. She considered everything already lost for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Her sole ambition was Jesus' smile. Her heart skipped a beat when she felt God's spirit press upon her that her faith had only begun to be tested. I am willing. She offered up her worship to God, laying her husband, her children, her comforts, her dreams, and even her very life on his altar. The Lord heard her sincere words and would soon test them in the olive press where flesh is crushed and anointing pressed out. With Governor Adams leading the way, the ecstatic congregation of zealots followed the governor down the sidewalk toward the state office building that held his office. Boniface initially thought David was a news reporter, but when he saw his familiar smile underneath the muddy orange UT cap, he shook his outstretched hand. David grasped his hand and inquired, Can I briefly get an audience with the governor? Oh no. Boniface shook his head side to side. It's important. The governor has many pressing matters. David would not give up that easily. He ran ahead of the press secretary. Governor Adams, please! The governor looked to his left and saw David. Thank you. He extended his own hand, thinking David just wanted to congratulate him and shake his hand as so many others had done. David shook Henry Adams' hand. You know the feds are going to try to take you down. The governor turned to David, keeping his rapid pace. Of course, don't you think I've counted the cost? Do you trust everyone in your inner circle? Why? David searched the governor's eyes. I just have the sensation that your greatest threat is close to you. What? Who? David was starting to get winded as he tried to keep up with the governor's pace down the sidewalk. For a burly fellow thirty pounds overweight, the governor did not appear to be fatigued in the slightest as he scurried rapidly down the sidewalk. I have prayed for you so much, and the Lord sent me down here today, I'm sure of it, to give you this message. You have to clean house, sir. You have more to fear from a Judas in your midst than an entire occupying federal army. A little leaven will infect the whole loaf of bread. The governor glanced at David with a puzzled look on his face, then turned and leapt up the stairs that led to the governor's office building, two at a time. Just pray about it, sir. Once the governor was inside the corridor that led to the state office building, he turned and addressed the entire crowd lagging behind him. The two jittery security guards at the entrance kept the crowd on the stairs. My fellow Texans, Governor Adams spoke in a deep, bellowing voice. We have not won the war. We have only begun it, and the fight will be vicious, I can guarantee you that. Keep faith, and we will overcome tyranny and restore justice in our land. Thank you. He turned abruptly and led his cabinet into the building. Then the door was shut. David's senses were flooded with a deeply gratifying contentment, but it was temporary. As he walked back to his car, holding his poster by his side, his heart began to be troubled at the meaning of the message that he felt the Lord had given him for Governor Adams. He prayed for the governor's safety all the way home, where his lovely wife and children would greet him with open arms. David's words stuck in Robert Boniface's mind like a splinter. He couldn't escape the fact that the stranger had read his mail, so to speak, and that God was speaking to him through him. The first thing he did was to call his secretary on his cell phone. Call Rick Rockefeller and tell him I'm not interested right now. Cancel my appointment with him. Yes, sir. Tell him I'm staying with the governor. Washington, D.C. Madam President, Dunworth with the Department of Justice stepped back into the President's cabinet meeting with an open cell phone in his hand. Now that had to be of the utmost importance if it prompted you to leave my meeting, said the President. It was. The Texas Life Bill banning abortion and euthanasia has been signed. A wave of nausea swept over Brighton's cabinet. We had secured the votes to prevent that. How did it happen? I can't believe they did that. Brighton appeared personally offended. The showdown has begun, moaned the President's Chief of Staff. Todd Hamilton was consumed with paperwork when his cell phone vibrated on his desk. He had one look at the caller ID and recognized the number. It was the secure line of the Director of the Midwest Division stationed in Dallas. He tapped a button on the phone panel. Mick Durango, what's up, buddy? Mr. Hamilton, just a moment, please. It was Mick's secretary on the phone in a front view of the Hoover building on the monitor. Hamilton hated being put on hold. He tolerated the music for a moment, then his old poker buddy from the academy greeted him. Hey, Todd, what a day, huh? Yep, good to see you again, Mick, he smiled into the cam. What can I do for you? Gotta meet with the boss in 30. Looks like we've located our suspect in the Columbus, Ohio bombing. Hamilton smiled when he heard those words. Great! The whole world saw him on C-SPAN standing next to guess who. Hamilton didn't have time for guessing games, even with his poker partner from the academy. Just tell me. Henry Adams was on one side and Robert Boniface on the other, on the sidewalk in front of the Texas legislature. After a pause that made Mick Durango wonder if the frame on his monitor had frozen and they had gotten disconnected, Hamilton responded, I find that hard to believe. I'm sending your secure email account a file of the C-SPAN program so you can see it for yourself. Hamilton stood to his feet and exclaimed excitedly, Oh man, you couldn't have planned this any better. Yes, it's perfect, said his friend. Does Henry Adams know him? Do you have a location for the suspect? Don't know yet. Henry Adams and I aren't on speaking terms right now. He's gone AWOL. Yeah, let me run this by the President before you do anything. She'll want to exploit this connection between Governor Adams and the suspect for its political mileage, I'm sure. Put every resource you have into finding Jameson. Discover their contacts. Learn everything you can about them, but don't apprehend them without clearing it through me first. Oh, goddess above. Wonderful, exclaimed the president, pacing back and forth behind her desk with her hand over her mouth. Hamilton had just redeemed her miserable day. She stopped and faced the camera. Was Jared Keaton with him? Did you see David Jameson's family? He didn't say. I told him not to. Tell him not to apprehend the subject, snapped Brighton, pointing a finger at Hamilton as she spoke. Find out what they're into. She began to pace again. Oh, this will come in handy. Have you decided what to do about the Texas life bill? This isn't just rhetoric to Governor Adams. He has publicly stated that he will defy the inevitable judicial ruling on this bill and send the State Guard to shut down the clinics and arrest anyone who tries to have an abortion or perform one. I'd like to see him try it. If he tries to go toe-to-toe with us, we'll put federal troops in his streets and the people will recall him in a heartbeat. It won't come to that, Madam President. Remember, we still have Terry Markison on the Governor's Cabinet who has timidly offered assistance. Mr. Markison has informed us that the Governor keeps his bodyguards with him all the time now. Hamilton's cell phone vibrated, and after removing it from its holster and looking at it for a moment, he told the president, You wanted to know about the heroes on Flight 710? Yes. Nineteen-year-old Charlie Starr single-handedly took the bomb out of the hands of one of the hijackers. Wow, an American hero, said the president. He's injured in ICU. Maybe we can use this Charlie Starr for PR purposes, said the president. Hamilton skimmed the rest of the message. You should peruse his file first, I think. He has some tendencies that you might not warm to. He... When is he getting out of intensive care, she asked, interrupting a sentence that she would later wish she'd heard more closely. Thank you for listening to this reading from The Revolt of 2020. This chapter was read by Daniel Meyer and engineered by Park Leacock. The Revolt of 2020 and its sequels, The American Tyranny of 2020 and The Uncivil War of 2020, are available for purchase at docjohnstonnovels.com. That's doc j o h n s t o n novels dot com o oh Lord, turn us back to you. forgive our sins and heal our land.